0: The Siege of Nice, from History of the Crusades, comprising the rise, progress, and results of the various extraordinary European expeditions for the recovery of the Holy Land from the Saracens and Turks, by George Proctor. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mike Overby midland washington before the arrival of the provincial forces all the other great divisions of the crusading levies had already completed their junction on the plains of asia minor and their wants rather than their strength had been increased by the wretched remnants of the preceding mob who with peter the hermit himself had in recovered confidence found their way from various places of refuge to the general muster the enormous numbers of the congregated hosts of christendom can be estimated with little hope of precision either from the tumid metaphors of the grecian princes who has described their desolating course or from the positive assertions of the latin writers whose ignorance of military affairs might easily mislead their computations and whose astonishment at the view of so prodigious an array was sure to be vented in exaggeration if we were to credit some of our usual authorities six or seven hundred thousand warriors were present in arms besides an innumerable multitude of ecclesiastics, women, and children. But the report of the same party in other places, and every evidence of reason and probability, are alike inconsistent with this conclusion. It may be suspected that the leaders of the war were themselves unable to ascertain the real numbers of the disorderly herd of irregular infantry, and we can rely with safety only on the statement of the most judicious chronicler of the Crusade, that the mailed cavalry, which, according to the rude tactics of the Middle Ages, formed the nerve of armies, amounted to 100,000 men. This superb body of heavy horse was composed of the flower of the European chivalry, knights, esquires, and their attendant men-at-arms completely equipped with the helmet and shield, the coat and boots of chain and scale armor, the lance and the sword, the battle-axe, and the ponderous mace of iron. The crowd of footmen fought principally with the long and crossbow— and were used indifferently as occasion required for archers, scouts, and pioneers. But their half-armed and motley condition formed a miserable contrast to the splendor of the chivalric army, which glittered in the brazenry of embroidered and ermined surcoats, shields and headpieces inlaid with gems and gold, and banners and pennons, distinguishing the princely and noble rank of chieftains and knights. From their first camp on the Asiatic shores of Bosphorus, the advance of the Christian hosts, in bold disregard of minor objects of attack, was immediately directed against Nice, the capital of the Sultan of Rome, situated in a fertile plain on the direct route to Jerusalem. Resting on the waters of the Lake Ascanius, the defensive capabilities of that city had been sedulously improved by art. It was surrounded by a double wall of stupendous height and thickness, provided with a deep ditch and flanked at intervals by no less than 370 towers. Its garrison was numerous and brave. And the Sultan Soliman or Kiladij Arslan, who had retired to the neighboring mountains with his Turkish cavalry, preserving his communication with the place by the lake, might with equal facility reinforce its defenders and harass the quarters of the besiegers. Nothing deterred by these difficulties, the crusaders, on their arrival before the city, undertook the siege with an energy suitable to the obstinacy which was anticipated in the defense notwithstanding their numbers the immense circumference of the walls prevented a complete investment but each independent leader successively encamping on the first quarter which he found unoccupied from thence directed and prosecuted his attacks contrary to the impressions which later historians have sometimes given that a chief authority over the crusading hosts was conceded to duke godfrey It is here observable that no trace of such recognition of supremacy can be discovered in the narrative of contemporary chroniclers. The general plan of operations was sometimes debated and determined in a council of princes, but the details and choice of execution were abandoned to the uncontrollable will of the different chieftains and their respective followers, who were alike too proud of personal rank and too jealous of national distinctions to brook any submission to a foreign command. But the same feelings which were repugnant to all subordination and unity of action, in a great degree supplied their want with a generous emulation of glory. And in the league of Nice, the Latin princes contended with rival valour and industry, who should be foremost in urging his approaches to the wall. On the northern side were encamped Duke Godfrey and his Rhenish and German division. Eastward extended the quarters of the Counts of Vermandois and Chartres, and the two Roberts, with the French, Norman, English, and Flemish crusaders. On the same front, the provincial and Italian host of the Count of Toulouse took up a continued alignment, and towards the south, the city was enclosed by the troops of Bemond and Tancred. Two thousand men who had attended the March of the Crusaders, under Tatesius as imperial lieutenant, were the only Byzantine forces in the Confederate camp. From their respective quarters, each of these divisions pushed forward its attacks with all the mechanical expedients which the Middle Ages had imperfectly preserved out of the martial science of classical antiquity. Among the principal machines of the besiegers were lofty wooden towers of several stories, termed Belfridi and Belfrois, which were moved forward on rollers and wheels, protected against conflagration by coverings of boiled hides, filled with archers to dislodge the defenders from the ramparts, and supplied with drawbridges, which, on a nearer approach, being let down upon the walls, afforded a passage for the knights and their followers to rush the assault. The advance of these belfra was sometime preceded, the road leveled, and the ditch of the fortress filled up, by means of a movable gallery or shed of similar materials, but lower structure, called indifferently a fox or cat or chachateel, when surmounted also by a tower. Under cover of these galleries, the walls could either be undermined by the slow operation of the sap, or breached by the violent blows of the battering ram. Ballistic engines of various sizes and denominations for hurling masses of rock, beams of tinder, stones, and darts composed the ordinary artillery both of the assailants and besieged, and the most effectual means of defense were afforded by the use of the Greek fire in destroying the hostile machines. The mechanical operations of the crusaders were for a while arrested by the gallant efforts of the Sultan of Rome who, descending from the mountains which overhang the plain of Nice with a swarm of 50,000 horse, endeavored by a sudden and impetuous attack, with the assistance of the garrison, to overpower the eastern camp of the Christians. But his hope of surprising their quarters was frustrated by the capture of the messengers who were entrusted to convey his purpose to the city. He everywhere encountered a determined resistance and a bloody repulse, and his first experience of the valor of the western Christians compelled him to abandon Nice to its fate. The defense of the city was not the less resolutely maintained, and the attempts of the besiegers to breach the walls were repeatedly foiled, their projectile engines disabled, and their towers and galleries crushed by fragments of rock or burnt by the Greek fire. Some weeks had already been consumed in fruitless labor and slaughter, when the position of the city on the Lake Ascanius suggested to the besiegers a more successful expedient. At their desire, Alexius caused a number of small vessels to be prepared in his arsenals, transported over land and launched upon the lake. This flotilla, manned by seamen and archers in the imperial pay, ensured the command of the lake, alarmed the city on that side with desultory attacks, and, intercepting all its communication by water with the exterior country, completed the investment of the place. Meanwhile, the besiegers continued their works with renewed spirit. The veteran Count of Thaluzes, whose approaches had been conducted with most skill and pertinacity, at length succeeded, by the science of a Lombard engineer, in attaching with safety a chachetil, or castellated gallery, to one of the towers of the city, which had been injured in a former siege and was bent forward from its base. The miners of the besiegers propped the superincumbent mass with strong timbers, while they loosened the foundations, and the supports being then fired, the whole fell with a tremendous crash and left a yawning breach. But instead of seizing the first moment of consternation by which the garrison were paralyzed, the provincials imprudently delayed the assault until the following morning, and an artful Greek contrived in the interval to rob them of the fruits of success. The wife and sister of the sultan, whom he had left in the city until this moment, endeavored on the first alarm to escape over the lake, then they were captured by the imperial flotilla. And Budamite, its commander, immediately offered not only their honorable release, but protection to the people of Nice against the fury of the Latins, if the city were surrendered to his master. The now despairing inhabitants accepted his terms. The troops of the flotilla disembarking were admitted into the city, and when the crusaders, with the returning day, were prepared to mount the breach of the fallen tower, the first spectacle which they beheld was the imperial banner floating on its walls. 20th of June, 1097 In their wounded pride and disappointed cupidity at being thus cheated of the honor and spoils of victory, the first impulse of the crusaders was to continue the assault. But a prudential consideration of the ulterior objects of the war induced their princes to stifle their own emotions of disgust at the artifice of Alexius, or his lieutenant, and to appease the louder resentment of their followers. And after a few days of repose, the whole crusading host, breaking up from the camp before Nice, pursued the destined route toward Jerusalem. End of The Siege of Nice by George Proctor